The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your round four recap episode for this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational. And joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. What up, Greg? Uh, I'm glad that Mark is here today because we haven't had a chance to speak. <laughs> and I finally, finally have, have paid. So, Mark, I, I know that we're now even. I paid you for your win with, uh, it, it was Besidenhut and Weisberger. And you won yep. the matchup. I've learned my lesson. One, you never go against the matchup king, Mark Immelman. And two, mm. the <laughs> longer you wait to pay your bets, the higher the interest rate goes. So I, I, I sent Mark some, some wine this weekend, which was nice. Nice that he got it. That's right. Two bottles. That's principal and interest for Mr. Mark Immelman. So Greg is off the hook. We can stop uh, poking him uh, for the wine wager that took him a while to pay, but he did pay it. And that right there is Mark Immelman also joining us this evening. Mark, good to see you. You know what? Thanks, uh, Rick. Good to be with you guys. Uh, um, Greg, it was like the perfect timing because this is one of my favorite events. And to sit there and watch them come down the stretch and, and and watch the white knuckle stuff going on there with those narrow fairways and the heavy rough and the glassy looking greens. Uh, uh, that glass of prisoner tasted heavenly. So, man, I appreciate you, bro. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> and rounding out the foursome here is Kyle Porter. KP, your takes on Bay Hill as a, uh, a challenge, as a tournament stop this week. It's awesome. I mean, we we were just talking about this before we came on. I, I can't believe I, we get to freaking do this every week. This is it, – it's it's been so much fun. And, you know, we'll talk about Bay Hill probably more later on. But I thought it was great. It was fast. It was firm. The wind picked up a little. You've got you've – got, people were kind of getting on like every par three looks is the same length. Like there's no variety. But – it's all. It also means you have to hit these long irons into them, which we never see. We never see the long iron stuff on the tour. So, I just I don't know, man. I, I think I think we almost always get a good tournament there, and uh, we got another one this year. We have this habit of just talking golf, just getting into it before we get hot. And then we're like seven minutes in and we're like, you know what? We should just go live. Like we should just start <laughs> this. This is the podcast right here because Greg, we were, we were talking about how, you know, the, the difficulty of Bay Hill can kind of lead to sometimes some very exciting finishes. And other times you wonder what you're going to be left with. If it's not Bryson at the top, if he's not battling it out with Lee Westwood and all, all the cast of characters that we saw this week. I, my, my feeling when courses get really hard like this, and again, it's not so hard where it's fair, but it's extremely challenging. There was, you know, nobody shot better than 71 today, which is, it's hard to imagine on the PGA tour on a par 72 golf course, nobody's better than two under that doesn't happen very often. So I understand what you guys are saying, at least in, if nothing else in the terms of uniqueness, right? It's kind of a, it's a very rare opportunity. We get to see that, but at the same time, Last year, Hatton made, on his second nine, eight pars and one double bogey. And that's it. There were no birdies. Nothing, nothing. He made one double on 11, which led to a, a famous Kyle Porter gif from yep. just last week. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it, also a double bogey, and then he won. And I, I just kind of felt like this week, very early on today, and last year with Hatton, I knew who was going to win for a majority of the, of the nine holes. Whereas... Really? I, I, 
I think too. Yeah, I feel like I knew Bryson was going to win. I mean, I was yeah. writing a, a show for tomorrow. I, I bet you Kyle was writing his articles on Bryson at three thirty this afternoon, right? Because you, you just have a set. You you kind of know. And it, and when you go to the RBC Heritage like we had last year, just the first one that pops into my head because it's the opposite scenario. You you didn't even know Webb Simpson's in the mix. And all of a sudden, he makes five birdies coming down the stretch, and and he wins, and it's over. So I wonder what's more exciting uh, for me personally. I like to see birdies. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I understand what you. I understand what you're saying, but I think that Bay Hill does a good job of identifying who's playing best. I think I think sometimes with some of these tour stops, I don't know if RBC Heritage is a great example, but. Even like with something like Rocket Mortgage, which Bryson coincidentally won, it can a little bit turn into a putting contest, which is, I, I guess, more fun. But I don't know that it identifies like who's hitting the ball best, which I love. Like that's that's the thing that I love. So I I don't know. I I think I I thought Bay Hill. I think Bay Hill's kind of underrated. I think it's I think it's really good as a tournament course. I don't know about you, Mark, but uh, I did not know who was going to win this golf tournament, and I was not giving it to Bryson DeChambeau, especially with 17 and 18 lurking. 18 was uh, by far the most difficult course on the whole. 17 was playing a half shot over, so I knew that there was an opportunity for a big number coming in, and we'll talk a lot about Bryson, but uh, I, I thought there was a lot of drama in this one. Yeah, it was, and and to Carl's observation, you have you had to do everything well, and you had to have a pretty good handle on your emotions. And uh, because the one thing about Bay Hill that I just love, it, it's it, it comes at you from the from the word go. There's no soft welcome with this opening hole. It's a dogleg um, left of like 450 or so out of bounds down the left. Played 459 today, uh, and so it just it, it beats you up from the start. Then you have a bit of a respite through the middle of the round. And then from 15 in, 15, that uh, that par four was the fifth hardest hole today. Uh, 16 is always the easiest, like a short par f- uh, f- It's a short par five, like a long par four for these guys. Then 17 was the third hardest hole, and 18 was the hardest hole, playing almost a stroke over par. And for an event like this, now, it's sad for me that a certain, I wouldn't say luster is off the event, but because of the scheduling, you don't have all of the, the the glitterati come and play. But for this event, winning at Arnold's Place, the King's Place, you saw the emotion when Bryson spoke about it. So winning at Arnold's Place, donning that uh, cardigan, uh, the three-year exemption, it, it, it's one of those that if you get your name on that honor roll over there, it's a big deal. And you have to earn it coming in. And there's no freebies. I mean, you even saw there on 16, Bryson could have probably hit two iron and seven iron into the green and made a four. But he went with driver and he didn't make the birdie. And Westwood, same thing. He's got a wedge in there, just whiffs it just ever so slightly. Chips one up there. Heck of a chip, i got to tell you. And he's got six, seven feet, which he couldn't convert. So you've you've got to do work coming in there, and you've got to play until the final shot is hold. And that's just what I loved about this because, yeah, you've got Westwood chasing. And, and yeah, Bryson is obviously the guy that should win, given the rankings and given the arsenal of weapons he's got and all the rest of it. But Westwood just didn't go away despite, you know, one or two little mistakes. Then he hangs around there, makes a, a good save there in the backside. I can't remember which hole. But pars 17, then he drives it down the heart of 18 fairway into a divot and hits one of the shots of the day over there. And then misreads that putt, but that's easy to do because there's a lot more slope there than you think. And then when he made that putt, I'm like, this is legitimate. And this is a guy who's battled with his putting throughout his career. If he had putted just anywhere decent, he'd have multiple majors, in my opinion. And, and, and to, so this thing went down to the wire. So from that point of view, because of the makeup of the golf course, the way the holes stack up, the way you have to earn it, and the fact that par is a good score. I mean, when you're standing there on AT&T, driving that fairway is a big deal. And then hitting on the greens is a big deal. And then getting it in the hole is a bigger deal. So it's, it's asking all the questions, and I love it. Speaking of par being a good score, our champion Bryson DeChambeau parred his final 12 holes of the day on Sunday to shoot a one under 71. As Greg mentioned earlier, only three rounds under par on Sunday. The course played three and a half strokes over par and KP uh, Bryson's done it again. And now with victories at 
Bay Hill in these conditions, at Wingsfoot in these in similar conditions. I, you know, the, the the biggest thing about his game right now to me is not necessarily the distance off the tee, which is amazing. It's when he gets in that thick stuff, he is able to move the ball in a way that his peers are not able to move the ball. And you're seeing it on these narrow fairway, very thick, rough courses. And that to me is where his biggest edge lies. It's a, it's a great point and something that I hadn't, we kind of talked, we talked about that in relation to him being able to hit like sand wedge or pitching wedge. Cause he's so far up, but not in terms of like how, how quickly or how, how, how much speed he has coming through the rough and how like other guys don't have that. And it just, it just mitigates the fact that there's even rough, right? It's almost like it's, it's, it's not there. I mean, that's not, you know, it is still there, but his speed just really like takes a lot of that risk out and it allows him to do what he does better than anybody in the world, which is hit driver anywhere. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think the, the, the whole point with Bryson is in, and I thought six was very kind of instructive on this. Um, the whole point with Bryson is that he's, he is the best driver in the world. When he's when he's hitting it well, I think, uh, or at least he's able to gain the most strokes because he's so he's so much farther than everybody else, and that allows him to not have to be perfect in every other area. It gives him breathing room in all of these other areas. Does he still have to chip it well? For sure. Does he still have to putt it well? For sure. But it, he doesn't have to be, uh, you know. And I've said this before. He doesn't have to be multiple standard deviations better than his baseline. He just has to be a little bit better than his baseline, right? And and he contends, you know. So. Uh, you know, he gained 12 strokes on the field this week. Seven of those were with driver. So he was, he was okay elsewhere. He was okay. He was good. He was good with his irons. He was good with his putter, but he wasn't lights out for the week. He wasn't, uh, you know, like that much better than the field with his irons. Um, and it just is, it, he gained two strokes on six on Saturday and Sunday, two strokes, like two whole strokes on the field. That's insane. That's a sixth of his, of his, like what he did for the week on that hole alone. And I, I just, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, and, and it's, you know, he's the content king. He's the content machine. <laughs> I, I, I want to take this beyond the numbers a little bit. And I normally do this sort of stuff. But the one thing that DeChambeau does, first off, all of these guys work very hard, but he just takes it to a different level. And we can all agree on that one. And I saw footage of him and someone told me, a, a caddy friend of mine told me about this. He was leaving the place and it was in the dark Saturday night. And Bryson was on the putting green in the lights, ironing out some putting wrinkles he'd had from the day before. Well, that turns into him being second on the greens today. And, and I think what goes unwritten is that apparently Bryson's figured out exactly where his ranges are. And when he goes and works on something, he it's not like he's searching he knows what the recipe is. He goes and addresses it. It might be in the middle of the night. We've seen him do this at Wingfoot. We've seen him do this over in France. Now, Saturday night, you're in Orlando. He has figured his recipe out. And, and if it's power off the tee, great. He's, he's, he's sort of let the cat out of the bag. He's going to identify the wedges as the next place where he can mine a, a stroke or two or whatever it might be. But when he goes onto the green and goes and does some work, and that turns into a fantastic putting day because it was a huge change, and it was difficult to putt those greens today, just the way they were rolling, they were fast, they were slick, and they had that fright factor to them. I mean, that to me is so impressive because a lot of folks, when it's not there, you go there with your instructor, and I'm sure Greg can talk to this, you pitch the feelings at the instructor, and you pitch the ideas at the guy or the girl, whoever it is, and they start to make some educated, um, don't want to say guesses, but sometimes guesses, and so then you hopefully find something, a feel you can take to the following day. Bryson knows what he's got to do. People just go there, he works on it, he gets it dialed in, next day's right as rain. And to me, this is something that is, uh, it makes my head turn. It really does. So you guys, you guys keep bringing up points that just bring up so many great conversations. So I'm gonna, I'll try to keep this simple. First, <laughs> first uh, Mark, what you just said about his work ethic reminds me of a, a Jerry Rice quote, which is, Today, I will do what others won't. So tomorrow, I can do what others can't. And today was that day where Bryson could do things that others couldn't do because yesterday he did the work that nobody else would do. Um, so I, I love that aspect. I love the work ethic that he puts in. And it allows him the option 
to do what he did on number six today. It allows him mm-hmm. that option to gain those strokes on one yep. hole, right? And, and he put the work in for that. But here's the thing about number six. Rick and I talked about this Friday, which is um, why we were, I think, both half wrong on that. We said, I don't think he's really going to do <laughs> We it, were right? technically correct, Greg, which is the yeah, best way right. of being correct. <laughs> okay. So he didn't quite go for it. But he did do something that we talked about. And he did it with scientific reason. I was amazed by this. He said in an interview on Wednesday or Thursday, if I have 195 ball speed, I can get there, no problem. And you kind of look like, you're kind of rolling your eyes when he says it. You're kind of laughing. Like, okay, if you can hit that ball speed, whatever. And he goes out on Saturday and he gets 194 ball speed. And then he goes out on Sunday and gets 196 ball speed. So he's right. He he goes into that. He makes that decision because the work that he put in on the range, he knows, okay, I got 195 today. I have 195 today. So if the wind is right, which took him a while to figure out, if the wind is right, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And, and it played to his advantage because it gave him a great angle. The fact that he hit it, that he missed the green doesn't matter. But he, there, there's a reason for that decision. Oh I want to ask you guys a question, right? The, the, the drives the drives down six were fantastic. You know, if you had asked me this five years ago when I stood there, when I stood there on that tee, and some that we were fortunate to have that northerly blowing the court, rest of the course plays hard, but six plays easier. With a prevailing wind this time of the year, it gets into you off of your right hand side, and that tee shot is just nasty. Uh, they pepper the right side of that thing in the bunker over there. So here's my question: the drive on six or the par putt on eleven? Which was the most telling if you had to pick a shot as we go towards the victory of Bryson DeChambeau today? Most telling? Well, the most, the most, if there was, if you could say that this, that shot was instrumental in, his, in, in him winning, which, where would you go? Uh, probably 11, probably 11, because I, I think that it, it kept the, I mean, he just parred home after six, right? And it, it kept that run together. I think that six is the more important thing long term because it's repeatable. You're not gonna, you can't make fifty footers, right? Like, make one out of what eighty or six? I don't know, whatever the number is. It's two percent, <clears throat> right? So it's 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 not a it's not as the point with the driving stuff is like it's repeatable. Like that's just who he is, and the putting. He played great on Sunday. I mean, he, he was, he was, I think he picked up what, two and a half strokes or two, I don't know, so, somewhere around there, mm-hmm. which he needed. If, he, if he's a zero putter on Sunday, Lee Westwood wins, right? Um, so I thought that, I thought the putt on 11 was more important for today, but mm-hmm. the drive on six is like the reason that we're even talking about Bryson winning eight times on, on the PGA Tour and like w- what's going to happen going forward. I, I think you're right on that, Kyle. Um, and, and just to, add to it a little bit the the putt is what makes the difference for today it's what makes the difference putting makes the difference the smaller the term gets every hole the outcome of every single hole every individual hole comes down to a putt whether you make or miss a putt but as the as the term gets broader and as kyle says the distance is repeatable you you rarely go to a golf course with a significantly reduced club head speed you, you pretty much have that within a certain mm-hmm. range, day in and day mm-hmm. out. The weather's going to have a little impact, but it's a, it's a minor difference. And that's why you see Bryson gain strokes in all of the, which Rick could speak to much in much more detail than I, but he gains strokes every time he tees it up off the tee. He walks to the first tee with that advantage built in every day. And when he makes putts like he did today on four and I think it was four and 11, that's what, that's what allows him to win rather than, just top five. And, and, and all he's done, I mean, we talked about this around the U S open, but what he's done is just shifted his percentages, right? He's shifted them from um, like, because of the driver, because it's so repeatable and so dependable and so consistent, he shifted from like, okay, I'm going to win 3% of the time to I'm going to win maybe 6% of the time. Right. And, and he's given himself the opportunity to be able to have a 50 footer mean that he wins a tournament instead of have a 50 footer mean that he finishes, you know, T seven or whatever. And I mean, the other, I, I could go for like an hour on Bryson. <laughs> he, he is, he's kind of a closer. I was looking up. So data golf has this he great, it, it has this great uh, tool where you can look at what guys shot uh, when they entered the, the final round in, in any position. So I was looking up what, what where he's been at uh, when he when he enters the final round. I think it was top 
in the top five, and he gained his strokes gained in the final round was like an average of two point three, which is really good for like being being up there near the top. And you compare that to you know like a, a Finau who was at around one uh, or a Spieth who I think is around one or one and a half. Um, he he's he's really turned into, and I think this is why you said this earlier, Greg. He's really turned into somebody when he's in the lead on Sunday. You're like, this is over. Like he, I, I, I believe that Bryson is going to win this tournament because we have all this, this built up history of him doing so. And I think that's kind of impressive. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know that we think about him in those terms, but I think it's true. We could do a 10 part mini series on Bryson DeChambeau, but Mark, I'm going to let you get the final word in here. His eighth victory on the PGA tour. He's won thrice in his last 15 starts worldwide. Is, is this rate sustainable? I mean, what does the future look like for Bryson DeChambeau? I personally, um, all of you guys make very, very sound comments. Um, I feel like as I've watched him play a few times now, you put him on a U.S. Open style setup, and he is going to thrive. Um, he, he's a very he's a good driver of the golf ball, and 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 the point you make, Rick, about hitting quality, being able to advance the ball given distances and at elevation too, because just moving the ball 150 yards out of the rough or moving it 150 and high, so it can come down on a sharper angle of descent, that's a big deal on firm greens. So those two weapons he has, to me, harkens back to a young Jack Nicklaus, who was the ultimate U.S. Open player. And so I feel like Bryson in those type setups is, I, I don't want to say unbeatable because no one's unbeatable, but he certainly will have the advantage. Um, I, I'm, but, you know, then, then you've got situations too where, you know, if you've got spinny greens or if you've got more receptive greens and stuff, then it's a different examination entirely. But if it's hard, fast, with heavy, rough, and some wind because he judges wind as good as anyone. Uh, that that's the one thing that no one ever talks about. That guy mm-hmm. doesn't miss yardage control very much. You give him those conditions, and he's gonna he should be the favorite in those sorts of tournaments. I think real quick, what's interesting about that is that he's a very like we would call him like a super modern, almost futuristic player in what he's doing. But what Mar just described is built for like an old school course like a like a like a u.s open from 1980 right or 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 an open championship even from 40 years ago like i i think that part is it i didn't expect that i didn't expect him to play great at wingfoot i didn't expect him to be able to be really good at a place like bay hill so he's almost this futuristic type player built for courses of yes or or setups and conditions and courses of yesteryear isn't that why he wears that hat Oh God! <laughs> That's had, exactly he had, why he had Hogan's hat. He had he had uh, Arnold Palmer's card again. I'm like, what? What do we? What do we do? The, uh, the the hat is a nod to Payne Stewart, who went to SMU before yeah. him. So there's a little honor that he's showing him. The guys, the guys got a lot of class about him. He, he does and says the right things. I mean, I was sad about the hot mic event he had there on 11 because that'll stick with him for a little while. Um, you know, especially when you speak so glowingly about Palmer, but. I saw a picture of him to your point, Kyle, where Lucas Wald, who's at a golf instructor, I highly, highly respect. He had got three pictures, Bryson from this week, Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas as young men and paused them at the top of the swing and compared and contrasted them. And they were identical as to what these dudes looked like at the top. And so in a funny sort of a way, he is a throwback and he's using, you know, it seems scientific with all the stuff they're using. But some of the levers he's using is the same stuff that Nicholas and, and 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 Arnold and these guys did to hit the ball so far just by figuring it out back in the day. Uh, I was supposed to move on that fr- that fried egg that he had on like, <laughs> eleven, where he, 11. Then, he then said these are the worst, worst bunkers, bunkers on tour. tour. <laughs> Kyle, that goes to our conversation last night about whether he's likable or not, and he is very likable when things go his way, and it it switches the second something goes wrong. Well, and like he, he's almost, uh, uh, up was tweeting about this, about how like it, everything's so like awkward. Like even when, when, when he gets interviewed afterwards and he's like, well, I just want to thank, uh, uh, you know, Cobra and, you know, like, like he just goes down the list and it's like, what, what, what are we, what are we doing? Like, is this a bit like, am I, is this a parody or like what, what's going on here? So yeah, we might, we might need to erase the tapes on that Saturday pod, Rick. Uh, speaking of fulfilling sponsorship obligations, here we go. First cut list <laughs> Paramount 
Paramount Plus has just launched, and you've probably seen the Mount Journey, uh, the Mount Paramount spots featuring, of course, our newest champion on the PGA Tour, Bryson DeChambeau, James James Corden, Patrick Stewart, Beavis, and Butthead. Yes, quite a squad. Paramount Plus is live sports. It's breaking news and a mountain of entertainment. You can go straight from game day to movie night with Paramount Plus. Stream iconic movies like The Godfather, Indiana Jones, and Mission Impossible, as well as new episodes of critically acclaimed original series like Straw star trek picard the good fight and the stand get this it's where you can dive into live sports from us cbs sports including the nfl march madness the masters and champions league soccer plus stream hit shows from cbs nickelodeon mtv bet smithsonian channel and comedy central it's live sports it's breaking news and a mountain of entertainment paramount plus is streaming now greg ducharme lee westwood lee westwood finishes second here we were talking before we went hot so i mean he he hung in there all day he shoots a a final round 73 he's going to finish one shot back of bryson dechambeau he did what he needed to do in my opinion he, he gained two and a half strokes on approach he had a little ice in the veins putt on 18 to at least make bryson have to make the putt to win the golf tournament gets a little bit unlucky with uh with his his lie in a divot on 18 which we can talk about that's a silly rule in my opinion but uh lee west would good to see him back in contention once again well um yes he played great and you know i'm up on lee this year right i was saying earlier i think this that's was right a couple of months back now uh that he was kind of my long shot for the open championship which is the hardest turn of it to pick this far in advance so it's crazy but anyway he's he's hitting the ball great and has been for the whole year he won in in um in europe on the european tour he's been in great form so it's no surprise uh, I'm surprised at how long he lasted. He he stayed in the mix for, you know, the whole tournament. He had a putt. He, he's awaiting a putt, a make-or-miss putt from Bryson to go to a playoff or not. He's 47 years old, competing with uh, the longest player in the history of the of, of the PGA Tour. <laughs> Seriously. It's true. Okay, I I got, I got to ask you this now because you guys yeah. have done a nice job of convincing me that ball strikers are going to win events because you say this all the time. How can you make that statement, Greg, when Lee Westwood has perennially been one of the flushest ball strikers ever to walk our planet? And you like, I'm surprised he hung around for so long. Well, eventually these things kind of, these guys kind of fall apart some in some way or another. Everybody did. It's not, it's no discredit to him. It just simply surprised me. I, I thought there were a couple of putts early in the round that he made that I didn't expect him to make. The one on six was phenomenal. The one on, I believe it was 11. I think he made another one on 12. He made some really nice putts that he has a tendency and has shown us in the past that he misses. Now he hits the ball uh, extremely flush, as you said, which is why he's here this week. This mm -hmm. is a perfect, I mean, in hindsight, it, this is a perfect tournament for him, right? This is as Rick and I talked about team no putt does great here because the greens are a little flatter and guys that don't putt very well in general, putt a little bit better here. Um, and that's why you see the leaderboard that you saw with Jordan Spieth being an exception. So guys who hit the ball really well and struggle with putting can have a better chance here, but eventually you have to make some putts and, and Lee Westwood stayed in it because he was, Pretty good on the short ones. Missed a couple late. Of 14 and 16, he missed some putts that would have been huge if he had gotten one of those to fall. But it was um, it was really impressive. Uh, Westy actually was better than Bryson from tee to green on Sunday. Yeah. And for the week. He was first tee to green for the week. Yeah. So he was better on Sunday, better for the week. I think that... So here's my Westy take. I think that... I hope this sort of late, I don't know. It's not a resurgence. He's been playing pretty well. I hope that as he plays into his 47, 48, 49, 50, that it, it brings some appreciation like for his career. His career has been unbelievable. Like he's been, he's been awesome for a long time and he got overshadowed and, and rightfully so in a lot of ways by Phil, by Ernie Els, by so many other guys in that generation. But, um, you know, he got, he got asked about, um, Gary Koch, who he played with at Bay Hill what are, in his first Arnold Palmer Invitational. And you're like, man, this guy that's on the broadcast, that's been on the broadcast for a long time, they played together in a PGA Tour event, you know? And I realize it was a long time ago, but I just think it – I thought this week, and I hope 
the next few years shine a light really on how great Westwood has been over the course of his career. 44, I'll set you up on this, Mark. 44 wins worldwide for Lee Westwood. He's the first player in he's the first player to hold a 54-hole lead on the PGA Tour in four different decades. That is the longevity that we're talking about with Lee Westwood. And it was I want to get your takes on 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 Westwood's performance this week, Mark, in, in general, but I just hate to see a guy pipe one down, 18, one shot back, the hardest hole on the course. Lands in a divot and he's got to play it out of there. Drives me crazy. Well, if you just watch the comportment first off, but but I, I also want to add to the mix that you reference Ernie and company. He had to face off against Colin Montgomery week in and week out on the European tour. And Monty was a banshee over there. I mean, he won multiple times, won that order of merit, merit seven times in a row. I mean, that's unheard of. That's Tiger-esque. Anyway, but to, to Westwood... At, at 47, he's 47 years young in a funny sort of a way. And you watch him as he goes around with Helen, his fiance, on the bag there. He's standing there calculating yardages in the fairway. She's just standing by the bag. He's checking wind. He's f- actually thumbing through the yardage book, going back to previous holes where to see uh, w- where a club went a certain distance. And this is stuff that you normally get this information fired at you from your caddy. So he has a 47-year-old Westwood playing like a teenager really again. Who's doing everything but carry his own golf bag, and uh, you, you can just see there's a certain freedom that he's playing the game with. His golf swing hasn't changed, but the putting stroke looks way more uh, fluid to me. And then when he, he gets that ball in 18, I was watching his reaction closely, and the boy didn't bat an eyelid. I mean, it was like all in a day's work, and he got up there and delivered a strike. I mean, that thing was just pure, and. I look at this, I'm like, 47? Whatever, man. This guy is evergreen. And if he finds the right circumstances, hey, there's a place called Augusta National that he feels pretty comfortable at. If he's I rolling he wins, well now. I, I, sweet. I, yeah, I, I'm, I just want him to get just his one major because he's all of fame. If he gets a major, he's guaranteed in there. And he deserves it because he's that good. Better, better golfer, Westwood or Sergio? Not better career, because Sergio's career is more accomplished, but but better golfer. More talented Garcia, I'd say that. Yeah, I'd probably lean towards Garcia, too. Yeah, that might have been a bad question. If you're asking for better golfer, then I'm going to go look at the results for you. You know, it's yeah. it, it's hard to argue with a record book. You know, if I, I've, I've been fortunate to go into people's houses and there's like the mantle is decorated with big trophies and major championship stuff and – you can say, well, he's better than you. They're like, yeah, well, I've got these. What, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're not talking about the position that uh, you're in at the top versus him. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. look at look at P4 for my swing versus his. That that doesn't come into the what, what the results are ultimately decide that. But Rick, you bring, you brought up the divot now a couple of times, and I want to get into that a little bit. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go. Because I don't do think it's a big deal. Thing. I mean, I, if you're Lee Westwood, and this is a perfect segue, how great of a ball striker, how much of a flusher he is. If you're Lee Westwood and your ball's sitting in that sandfield divot right there. It's a non-factor, nearly a non-factor. Maybe you put a little thought into it because it looks different, but it's not even below the surface. And I don't think he's even worried about it. I think he plays a normal club, a normal shot, and just says, okay, I have to be a little more precise here. But I'm not precise anyway. For the normal viewer, listener, whoever's watching here, if you're hitting the ground before the ball, then a divot becomes a really big deal. If you're striking the ball first, this becomes a fairway bunker shot without any of the real concerns of a fairway bunker. The concerns in a fairway bunker are the lip. You have no lip to deal with. And your footwork, losing, maintaining your balance in the bunker is another concern. And you're on the, you're standing on the fairway. So this is like a, it's like a nothing. To me, it's a, 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 a wise man once said a nothing burger. Hey, Greg. Good call there because you're right. When guys are as good as this, they deal with divots, balls and divots. Have you ever stood in 18 fairway at Bay Hill and took a look at that green? Have you? Yeah, of course I have. Okay. I've played it. I've played it. And look, it's daunting, but the divot doesn't make the difference there. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my goodness. You can stand there with a perfect lie in the fairway and it can be like, you get the shrink factor going. Yeah, it could be on a tee. <laughs> no, no, it's, okay. it's, it's legit. And out of a divot from there, that was top quality. 
Yeah, real quick. So my only my only thing with the divot thing is like, if we're gonna play preferred, Jacob was talking about this. Producer Jacob in the chat. If we're gonna play preferred lies because it might rain in round three, then the consistent thing would be to to not play out of divots. Like, I I say I say just don't do the preferred lies. Like just just play where it lies always. Like that that would be the yes. the the side that I lean toward. Um, but if, but that's a very inconsistent thing. Like if we're playing preferred lives in round three, cause it might rain, maybe <laughs> then, then, then be able to drop out of divots. That's crazy. The, uh, yes. The only concern that the rules officials have with rain and fairways that get hard, that are hard like that, any rain and those balls pick up mud right away. And if they start hearing from players with mud balls, Great. Mud ball. No, mud no, ball. No. So, so, yes. But, but you can't. Think about that at a, at a, think about that happening at a major championship, right? Like, it's just, it's just goofy. Like, it's just like, I don't know. I just think it's the, dumb. The argument is not, did it impact Lee Westwood? Because he's very good at golf and he probably doesn't care. But it's the fact that you split the middle of the fairway and just because another play, it, it would be like if you weren't required to fix your, your ball marks on the green, right? You just left them there. So when you get there in the final group and you've got to putt around six or seven of these <laughs> in route to the cup, but hey, you just got here later. So I guess, I guess you're, you're SOL. Yeah, but you can tap those down with the new rules from the USGA thing. <laughs> so you should be able to roll your ball out of the divot. That's that's the two yeah, inches. <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> you know what? I've 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 been I've always been on one side of this argument. I'm like a divot's a divot. You got to go and play I, out of it. It's part of the skill. Which part of the skill of the thing? Now, the one thing, a mud ball. There's no skill necessary. There's no skill that can help you from a mud ball. It is pure fortune. But now, they're both. But, divot, but they're both happen. They're both happenstance. Like your ball happens to roll into a divot. Your ball happens to get mud on it, right? And I just like you say the players will get. Mad. I don't care if the players get mad. Like that's part of the deal. The, I, don't, I don't necessarily uh, disagree with you. I understand what what Mark's saying about the mud ball having limit. You know, it limits the skill to some degree. But I, I tend to lean t- towards uh, the same place you do, Kyle, where you play it down. I mean, play it down. And if it, it everybody's dealing with bad conditions and, and unfair, quote unquote, unfair elements and, you know, happenstance situations that happen. You play it down. And that, that's rub where I see right? Yeah, that's, uh, but that's yeah, rub of the green. That's right. Yeah, I've, I've never had a problem with a ball in a divot. Never, ever. The good news for me is I haven't either because I just move it right on out of there. I got no problem going out. I've <laughs> never sure. hit a ball out of a fairway divot sure. in my entire life, and I do not intend to start anytime soon. Jordan Spieth has been <laughs> officially, officially declared back by the only man that I think has the right to do that. <laughs> and we have him here, right here on the first cut pod. It's Kyle Porter, KP. It was a three over 75 in route to a T4, but I don't think you care about that. I think that you were saying he is back no matter what he does here on Sunday. Yep. Don't care about whether he won or not. The mayor of Spieth Island has declared <laughs> um, a holiday on Monday because we're going to be up late tonight uh, partying and <laughs> – Phil's bringing wine. There's going to be, you know, Kuchar's going to do that hula dance from the PGA Tour commercial that we've seen a billion times. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Um, you going to get okay, balloons so- that say T4 on it? <laughs> <laughs> two different, yeah, two different balloons. One T, one four. I can get them. I can get them from Jason Day after he blows them up to stretch his rib cage out. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I. Uh, my thing with Spieth is so super impressive that he did it at Bay Hill. We we all sat here on Tuesday and we're like, Bay, okay, like, yeah, he's hitting it good. But Bay Hill's, you, you know, it's different. He doesn't, he doesn't play well at a place like TPC Sawgrass with water. You know, we kind of all thought that about Bay Hill. And he just managed the driver around there. I mean, it wasn't pretty. It never is. Um, but I, it, my thing with Spieth on him being back, the putter has been way better than it normally is over the last month. So I, I don't know that you're going to get like the sort of consistent contention 
um, that he's that he's had over the last four events, but his iron play, his iron play is I keep saying it. 13 out of his last 16 events now, he's gained strokes on his approach shots. And that's his whole, that's his old stick. Like that's his whole deal. Um, and that's why I just it's not one tournament, it's not two tournaments, it's not one type of course. It's not two, it, it's it's a it's a variety of places over the course of a month at a at a you know in a bunch of different situations. And so I don't I don't know how you can look at it and not have optimism about how the rest of 2021 is gonna go. The most impressive thing to me, or at least the thing that uh, I wish I could quantify with a spreadsheet or a formula or a calculation, Greg, is like the magic. Like he's got the magic, right? Him and Grell are having fun again. They're out there doing it. Someone, I, I wish I knew who it was on Twitter, said it's like when, when Steph Curry hits his first three. And then he hits his second three and you just, you just see it go through the hoop and you know, you're in trouble if you're playing against Steph Curry and he hit his, he's hit his first two speed has that. Like when he starts rolling, he had, he had that save on, like, when did we talk Friday? Uh, was it Friday or Saturday night where like on 18, uh, he just has that magic that only he can summon in these big situations. It is so fun to watch. And that's why he is the guy who defies the stats, right? You talk about all those things that you guys talked about on Tuesday. I I wasn't there Tuesday with you, but I would have been right there on the same page as you, where we're talking about a guy who's not in control of the driver. And for that reason, it doesn't suit him well, but he is the guy who defies stats. It's a guy like Jordan Spieth. Patrick Reed also comes to mind where they just, they know how to score. He can go out there and shoot 29 for nine holes from the trees every time. You just get that sense that he just knows how to make birdies and eagles, and he he knows how to get the best out of every round that he has. I, I do think Kyle said he, he managed the driver around, and I think that's important because I declared him back a, a couple of weeks ago before. I, I, was, I jumped on the bandwagon a lot sooner than I normally would because he stopped missing that shot way to the right where he blew it to the right and he was missing left. And we talked about it at waste management where he's there. There's some positives here. Cause he's, he's missing it all one way. And that allows you to avoid penalty areas. It allows you to avoid penalty shots because you know, the water's on the left on 11. So I'm either going to club down or I'm going to aim at the bunkers and I can't possibly, I'm going to take the water completely out of play. And Jordan's been able to do that. So he's limited penalty strokes. He's limited double bogeys. And he still has the ability to make a 35-footer, to make a hole-in-one, to, uh, <laughs> to to light a spark that gets him in contention. I forgot We just about haven't that. seen it on Sunday yet. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. He did make a hole-in-one on Saturday. Yeah. The, uh, that was an, I think that was an unauthorized declaration by you, Greg. <laughs> it is. I know. I'm not the founder of Speed Island. I don't even have any property there. I, Hey, I uh, I'm not in the club, but I just I should. Said should he be the Masters favorite? No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, okay. We don't know anymore. <laughs> I know. I know. It's it is it is hard to tell. Uh, no, it's exciting. Like I was talking to a buddy at, at church this morning. I was like, I was like, man, why? Like, why? Why him? He's so nondescript. He's so like. He's, I don't know. He's just a dude out there, but it, it's so enthralling. And he goes, well, he plays a, he plays around a golf. Like, like my life with kids is right now. So this is a dad. That's one of my friends. He goes, I mean, it's like the highs are really high and the lows are really low with all these kids running around. I was like, Oh, that, that kind of makes sense. Like that's a, he's a very, uh, as much as somebody who's sponsored by Coca-Cola and AT&T and Under Armour and makes $50 million a year can be, he's very relatable. I think. Uh, at least in terms of just the way he plays golf. Hey, you should well, be he's, talking. He's about an open book. Church, huh? what? But Jordan, you, should, you you got the wrong J. You're talking about a church knockout. Come on. Well, we were. It was there was other stuff. We were leaving. We were we we're on our way out. WWE you were whispering this would, in the past. Yeah. <laughs> what would if Jordan I, do? <laughs> no, if I might, I, you know, I, I I watched all of Saturday and. I was out of breath watching him play, man. I can see why he and Michael Greller are out of breath because it, it, it just it feels you on the edge of hysteria all of the time. And and he was doing some fantastic things. And you know that Jordan thing that he used to do, where he'd hit it all over the joint and then make a forty footer or hold a bunker shot. You know, he was doing that sort of stuff again. And I'm like, all right, this is how he's always played. And so we can't critique him for that because even when he was winning, the stuff was going his way. But here's where I just want to pump the brakes a little bit. Look, he's, 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 
what he was a few months ago and what he is now, they are poles removed from each other. But playing the final three holes in four under, when you have a chance to post, <clears throat> not so much. And all of those were indiscretions on greens. He got himself into trouble where old Jordan Spieth, when he won, would have found a way to rattle those things in, scrape a birdie out there, the final three holes, post something, and then wait. The U.S. Open comes to mind on those wiggly greens they had over there in Chambers Bay. But yeah, he's got perfect greens, misses three short putts, bogeys three of the last four holes. Mm, there's, there's still a little going to go, but he is, he's a long ways back, and he's thoroughly entertaining. And I have a feeling we are going to spend quite some time talking about him in the next few weeks. He's always on our outline. I got to go quick here because we got to get some to some stuff on the other side. But Rory McIlroy, the headline this week, KP, uh, ejected and dejected. He shoots a 72-76 on the weekend. He falls to T10, and he gave this quote after. I don't have the question, but he says, yeah, I feel okay. There were some good parts this week. Again, some stuff that I'm sort of, I don't know what the word is or how to describe it, but just a little dejected or I don't know, like maybe like maybe looking to go in a different direction. I don't know. I need something. I need a spark. I need something, and I just don't seem to have it. Some days it's good. Some days it's not. So, sounds like he needs a counseling session. Something. Sounds I mean, like, and sounds like the catio coach is about to be fired. Bingo. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, he's had his coach for like 25 years, hasn't he? Yeah, but he's, he's, I've seen Pete Cowan trolling around the place. The, Rory is, if you watch him on the range, he's always talking to guys about technique and looking at clubs and stuff like that. I He's talked to me before. He's changed golf balls often for spin rates and stuff like that. But this sounds like this sounds like the axe is going to be, gonna be taken to something here pretty soon. Yeah, maybe. I would be surprised if he fired Michael Bannon or um, – Harry Diamond, but I, I, you know, this is a little bit of what I was referencing before the week started. It's like, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about it like he missed the cut by eight. He finished T10. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's, it's, um, there's just something missing. I mean, and this is, I'm just essentially repeating what he said, but he, he does, it's like this. And we talked about this, Rick, on, on Saturday when he played so poorly. I mean, I, I think he lost six strokes, six strokes to the field in round three playing in like the third to last group. And then he lost two more on Sunday and it's just so like uninspiring, you know, it's, it's the driver's still there except when he hits it in the water twice on six. Uh, but just the iron play was so, it was so bad on Saturday. It was just like, it, it was like egregiously bad. It wasn't like he missed us, but it was like he was flying greens by 20 yards and, I don't know. It, it does feel less. Uh, it f and maybe this is always true of Rory. It feels less mechanical or technical than like philosophical, than like a a, a, a general like direction that that his. I hate to say make this too broad, but that like his life is going in, and I, I don't know that there's like there's not an answer that you and I can give for for something like that. But that's just that's the feeling that I get when I watch him, when I hear him, when I kind of take in all this stuff. And I think that is, I think that is really interesting. And Greg, we'll kick this to you first, and then Mark, you can put a put a bow on this. Uh, it has been an, a terrible stretch of golf, Greg, for Rory McIlroy. And just look, look at his last twenty results. That that would be a career that all but ten guys on the PGA Tour would love to have. And we say this is pretty much a failure of a, of, of fourteen months for Rory. Yeah, well, you're not you're not measured to uh, to your your results your results are are measured differently for everybody because of what your expectation is and you put the expectation on yourself so rory is not living up to his own uh abilities and he knows that and that's why he said what he said so rory to me right now is he's not rolling up his sleeves he's not getting dirty everything for rory has to go perfect and if it mm -hmm. doesn't go perfect it goes bad and if he hits a, if he misses a seven foot putt, it goes bad. If he hits a tee shot into the water, it goes bad. He he hits it in the water again, and then he starts to perform when it doesn't mean anything. We've seen that before too. So I, if it's not, there's something about a guy like Jordan Spieth that is a, he's he's in the dirt and it's dirty. And if it doesn't go right, he figures out how to get it done anyway, and he forces his will. And for Rory right now, I don't see that. I see a guy that if it's going, I think, to the RBC Canadian Open, every putt's going in, uh, every tee shot is just the way that he wants, the approach shots are just, and he shoots 61, and it's great. He can do that. 
But if he misses a five-footer on number three, then he's going to shoot 75. And that, that variance is way too big for his talent. I, I th- he's just got to figure out a way to grit his teeth a little bit more when it, uh, when it comes down to it and shoot a score, figure out how to shoot a score rather than figure out how to play a certain style. That's what I see. Final word on Rory, Mark? Well, given that I had sort of professed that Rory was going to win this event earlier this week, I, I appreciate the, the fact that you'd given me the take. And what Greg says I think is highly appropriate because what I saw last week, um, it looked to me like he was cobbling together a score without his best stuff. And uh, at Bay Hill, you've got to bring some game, and I know, you know he drives the ball well. And, and he looked all the parts in round one. And round two, when he put together that round where he didn't really have his best stuff, he had changed putters, was rolling the ball pretty well, sort of salvaging, sort of blue-collar type golf. I was like, yeah, wait a second. It's, it's happening now. And then on the weekend, I don't want to say that it's like he wants it too much because that's all too broad, and I think that's a lazy description. But it almost looks to me like he's trying to force the issue a little bit. Like there was an interaction there on on Saturday when Bryson drove this thing over the water on six, and he was just in front of McElroy. And the on-course reporter goes, oh, well, Rory asked Harry Diamond where that ball ended. And the next thing, Rory took almost the same line and hit it like 361, which was just uh, 14 behind Bryson and a little off to the right. And I'm like, Rory, this is not a flex contest, bro. You can put this thing in the fairway, hit it on the green, make a birdie, which he did. And then yet today, I mean, we hit how many balls in the water over there? That's asinine. And so, so I almost want to say that it, it, it's like when things aren't going the way, then he's trying to push the button as opposed to letting the rounds come to him. Because the one thing that I know for certain through all of my years in golf is that eventually cream will rise to the top. But if you start... If your biggest enemy and your biggest enemy becomes yourself, then that cream will never, ever have the time to rise to the top because you're hitting some silly shots. And two balls in the water on six, the way he drives it, no, man, uh-uh, I, I can't be going there. And so to, to me, it's, it's like the issue is trying to be forced too much as opposed to allowing the round to come to him some. Well, the field next week is nothing but cream. It's the Players' Championship. We're going to talk about it. We're going to go through our odds and ends. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. And we're back. Players Championship Week TPC. Sawgrass, 48 of the best 50 players in the world are going to be in attendance. Kyle, the only two that we're not seeing in action, Matthew Wolf, he opted out of this event. We, we've known that for a couple of days, but we got word that Brooks Kepka tweaked his knee uh, like Sunday at the as the leaders get to the turn. This little nugget comes out that, that Brooks Kepka has withdrawn from next week's Players Championship. Yeah, they showed it. They showed they started showing featured groups and he was in one. And then an hour later, he withdrew. That was weird. Uh, which one, real quick, Rick, which one's more concerning to you, Wolf or Kepka? So, uh, not Wolf because I know he had the he had the hand thing that he withdrew at Tory. I knew he had some bad blisters and I thought I read that he had kind of tweaked his back. That that's not as concerning. The Brooks stuff, if I'm if I remember correctly, everything that he had previously was left knee. And I think that's this right. was right knee, right? Which that, that, is a new that's, injury. That's correct. I I actually think the wolf stuff is a little more concerning because yeah. I th- I talked to somebody about this and I think that. I think Wolf just like doesn't want to play golf right now, which I don't. I don't know that that is uh, crazy unusual for some. Like you, like he's twenty, whatever, twenty one, twenty two. You're getting just so, it's so much adjustment. It's such a different world, and when it goes poorly, it can feel like the weight of the world is on you. You've got all these sponsors. You're not used to that life. That whole thing. I think that is 
man, that's hard to get through, you know, and, and if, if there are injuries compounding it, I, I think that's, um, that's difficult as well. The Kepka thing, I think it's, I, I don't know. This one's hard because I don't think it's as concerning because it's not the left knee and the left knee, obviously being a righty is that's problematic because there's so much force on it. The right knee is like, okay, this is either a one-off thing or it's just a, a, a trend of injuries where he's just going to be injured through his thirties, you know, like, and that could be the case. I don't, I don't think it will be. I hope it's not, you know, it, just, it, it stinks though. Like the, the, we're coming up on a huge stretch here and you want Kepka to be involved and now who knows? Yeah. You know about the the knee, which is concerning to me about Brooks, is that, you know, typically with athletes and with all human beings, really, when one side of the body gets injured, the other side of the body starts to accommodate. Mm-hmm. So you get some of that, and then you're doing that at high speed, and you're doing it a lot. You know, I, I can I, I don't know the severity of this injury. The first I found of it was on the television broadcast this afternoon. But what's concerning to me about knees, knees and ankles, I I, I hate a wrist injury for a golfer because of the force you put on the wrist when you strike the ground at their speed. But knees and ankles, man, these guys walk, what, six to eight miles a day? And yeah, you can talk about the force put on the golf swing. If you're struggling to walk, and that's the one thing where I'm remiss at the fact that I was just talking about the left knee and the force onto it and stuff. And when I talked to him, he's like, I was fine when I was swinging. It's walking down hills that was the challenge. And all of these big-time golf courses that they play, the hill is ripped. You're uphill, downhill, and stuff like that. And if you're struggling to walk, that's a real deal. So I'm, I'm concerned about the Brooks thing right now. Yeah. TPC Sawgrass, Greg, will play host as it has every year since 1982. It is an iconic Pete Dye design. And, of course, the hole that we're going to see, and apparently we're going to see every shot next week, uh, the hole that everybody's going to want to be posted up at, the 17th, Peninsula Green. It's uh, a unique. It's probably the most recognizable hole on tour. I, I would say it's has to maybe be. exclude Amen Corner. That's maybe, real. Uh, I say that doesn't count. That's three. <laughs> it it has no. It has to be. It has to be the most recognizable hole yeah. on on in golf. It has to be. Yeah, I, I and I, I think so. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see. You mentioned every year since 1982, um, but this is only the second year. Um, in, with, with it being played in March. And and I think it was played in March up until 2006, and then it went to May, and it was in May from 2006 to 2018. I, it was 2006 or 2007. So it, it is kind of a, a little bit of a different test. It's a little slower. It's asking for, uh, I, th- I think the course tends to play a little longer. Um, but as fast as Bay Hill played this week, I, I can't wait to see what the golf course is like. I, I don't know what the weather's going to be quite yet, um, but man, I'm I'm looking forward to it because I have a feeling it's going to be a little faster than it was in 19. Uh, 17's overrated, I think. 16 and 18 are awesome. See, 17 to me allows you to have that. Uh, um, there's that birdie <laughs> double opportunity. Right where we what we saw at Bay Hill was mm. kind of a par bogey opportunity, maybe some doubles too. But but realistically, as safe as you play, you end up making pars, or you end up making like the best shot you hit leaves you with a twenty foot birdie putt. Uh, at 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 Sawgrass, the best shot you hit could be and you could make it on eighteen. You could hit it to a foot, uh, which I think because it, it's a wedge, I think that's great. Yet at the same time. You get the wrong trajectory, the wrong spin, judge the wind wrong, and you could make a triple. So I, I like that up and down aspect. You know what? I've talked to a few players about this, and all I can speak to is my experience. And for the last uh, five, six years, whatever, I've done feature groups over there. And that closing stretch of holes from like 13 through 18 are just dynamites. It's awesome. Good par 3, 14 is a mean par 4, 15, 16s you want to get. And then 18 is, of course, just a brute. But i got to tell you, man, you stand there on 17. Now, I'm keen to see what it's like this year because in years past when I've been there, it's this amphitheater with these sta- buildings that are three stories high, folks going bananas there the whole day, and it's just one big party. And you could see it on the players' faces when they leave 16 green. They're looking over there already. And me with a microphone in my hand, dude, I walk down 16 fairway, and I'm looking to my right to see what, <laughs> where the wind is. You're looking at all the flags and stuff. And so that hole is in your mind from early in the round. 
and you can see the players because I stand there on the tee and you watch their reactions. It is, even though it's just 130 yards or something, it gets inside of their heads so quickly. So from that point of view, it is just a fantastic hole. When I first got there, I hated it. But but I think I think it's tremendous, and just like at Bay Hill, you earn your players' championship if you get through that stretch of three holes of the gauntlet. I've heard that the walk from sixteen to seventeen is about fifty yards too long. I've heard that too. Heard that. Where did oh, you yeah, hear that? Okay. Uh, I just made it up right here on the spot. <laughs> what is that, Rory? Rory in that uh, in that commercial? Is it Rory who says that? I, I love the 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 end of the Rory commercials. Like <clears throat> I'd be missing something if I didn't have a players' championship. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, you'd be missing something if you didn't have a Canadian Open. You'd be missing something if you didn't have uh, an Omega Dubai Desert Class. I mean, and, and you are missing something. It's a it's a green jacket. <laughs> so oh, hopefully, wow. hopefully we can shoot that commercial later. Uh, odds and ends. Let's do our one and done update because well, there's not much of an update here. So here we go. So starting from the bottom, coach missed the cut. Patrick Reed, he stays at 1.9 million. Producer Jacob got T10 money from Matthew Fitzpatrick, 195,000. That moves him to 2.6. Kyle, you and I are still stuck in the middle. We both took Paul Casey. We all, everyone either got top 10 money, T10 money, or $0. So KP, you and I both burn Paul Casey. We get 195,000 we make up no ground on anyone. Yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I, it, yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind that. I, I, I still like the pick at the beginning of the week. I'm just glad that my, the generosity and grace from producer Jacob to give me a pick back after I donated my 400 K to, to charity was, was very kind. I appreciated that. And your alternate Robert Gamez shot a 92 on Friday. So you didn't have to, you didn't have to take I forgot that. about that. <laughs> uh, Greg, you are still in second. 4.8 million. Francesco Molinari missed the cut. Goose egg. Uh, nothing Tough. further. Nothing further. No further comment. Uh, and Mark, you stay at the top. You actually extend your lead over Greg by another 195000 because you also had Matthew Fitzpatrick. You were at $5.3 million, and I was trying to do the math to figure out how many events were left. If Coach would have to win them all to catch you before the Masters, I think you're pretty clear of that at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm liking the position there. Pity I didn't put something on it, but again, kudos to Greg for sending two bottles of wine because of the last uh, last deal. And, and as far as this one-and-done thing goes, I feel like I actually escaped something because I, Paul Casey was a good pick last week. And if I managed to get out with a tie with you guys, I've got him in the holster now for Valspar, which is a big deal. So uh, you can rest assured I'll be using him then. Mark's got him penciled in for Valspar week. Our super contest update. So this is our betting card for each week. I had a pretty good week. I had... I won every single matchup and then lost the things that I sprinkled on, which was Sungjae Im to win, Jordan Spieth to miss the cut. That went really well. Uh, but this is the formula. KP, if we say, you know, uh, if if Colin Morikawa can be a zero putter, he's going to win a lot of golf tournaments. If I win all my matchups every week and lose on the things I sprinkled on, I'm going to have a great turnout by the end of the year. That's like the, that's the formula. Yeah, I love it. It's great. But it was you, Kyle Porter. Who yeah. are who is the big winner of the week, and you were thrust into that position by Bryson DeChambeau, who you not only had to finish inside the top 10, but you also had a Bryson Hovland double chance at six to one. That's either of them winning, which is, I think the first time that any of us have hit a double chance. And then you capped it all off with a best bet victory of Paul Casey over Sung JM. Congratulations. Thank you. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was excited about Bryson this week. I mean, you know, we talked about it on Tuesday, but him and Rory at Bay Hill are just, they, they just kill there. I mean, their, their top 10 rate, their, their threat to win is, uh, it's very high. So yeah, I'm excited about it. I'd like to thank all my sponsors, Link Soul and <laughs> that's, that's really it. Now, now Gene, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's been a good week. Well, after this week, you might get some more sponsors. That's what you got. <laughs> I just, if, if I could ask you guys to help me for this week, please help me find where the matchups are because I never found them, and I got drilled last week. I, I need to change. I need to change something drastic. I'm not sure what it is, technical or or, or mental or emotional, but something's got to change, guys. You got to get you got to get in the strokes gain game. Yeah, right. 
Cool. No, we just need to send him the link to where he he picked all nationality bets because he didn't know where to look. <laughs> those are yeah. those are so we'll be hard sure to Mark. send that. Those are impossible. Yeah, I put my brain tied behind my back having to play against you guys. I mean, come I, on. I will He's say matchup king too. Mark should just pick matchups. Yeah, should have been yeah. doing that all For year. Sure. You did get Christian Bezadenhut as your top South African. So you did not. Uh, I don't know if you won any other ones, but you definitely won that one. No, I didn't win any others because uh, Matt Fitzpatrick fell in a hole on Saturday somewhere and he was going along pretty nicely. And I can't remember what the others were, but they were desperate. So we'll put this behind us and we'll change something for next week. We'll send you the link and we'll get you back on track. Gentlemen, Arnold Palmer Invitational in the books. Closing thoughts. Anybody? Last call. Uh, Bryson driving right now is like Manny Ramirez step and played at Fenway. Must see TV, theatrics power skill it's awesome i love it it's pretty good i think we'll end on that i like it producer jacob thank you very much behind the scenes that's kyle porter you can follow him on twitter at kyle porter cbs that's greg ducharme who you can follow on twitter at the real gfd that's mark immelman who you can find on twitter at mark underscore immelman you can follow me at rick run good this has been the first cut and we'll catch you next time Yes, Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 